On this Aviation Special, we talk with the sound folks behind Cosmos, Possible Worlds, Nat Geo's new program that looks at the Earth and the universe between 15 billion years ago and 15 billion years into the future. How Greg King and Jonathan Greasley created the sounds that we'll hear in the program. All that and more next on this Aviation Special. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is an AV Nation special. My name is Tim O'Brien. I'm your host. Cosmos, uh, Possible World, airs on Nat Geo, has been since the first part of March, ends April 20th. With me to talk about the audio, the sound actually, uh, the sound effects you're going to hear uh, from 15 billion years ago to 15 billion years in the future and how they created it is uh, my guest, supervising sound editor Greg King and sound designer Jonathan Greasley, both from King Soundworks. Welcome, gentlemen. Ah, hello, thanks for having us. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, Greg, welcome to you. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm um, happy to be here. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, this, it looks like a really interesting um, uh, program. It's been on since, since March the 9th. Uh, John, I want to start with you. Uh, the, the, the premise here is that we're looking at a big swath, right, of, of the cosmos, a big you know, span of time here. One of the interesting things, at least interesting to me, uh, kind of hurdles you guys had to overcome was – what does it sound like? What does it sound like in 14 billion years from now? What did it sound like in the prehistoric past? How did you tackle that? Like, what did you what did you go into it going, okay, these are some of the, the kind of the, the benchmarks or the current sounds that I can extrapolate off and then, and then go from there. Yeah, that's, um, that was kind of a big uh, conceptual thing that we had to decide on for the show. And the, the thing I'm kind of fond of saying too, is a lot of the stuff, that we had to, to do sound for either is stuff that you would never hear because maybe there's no atmosphere on in space or on the planet that we're perhaps showing or you know there are points in the show too where we go down to like the subatomic quantum level and of course there's no real way to know what that would sound like from from our perspective so it gave us a real kind of wide open um palette that we could create because you know it, it kind of really just sounds like whatever you want it to sound like um, and whatever you can kind of convince people is believable for it to sound like. Um, so to that end, we just tried to keep things as organic as possible. And um, obviously the show is so heavily visual. The amount of visual effects in the show is, is kind of mind-boggling, the amount of work that those guys did and how fantastic it all looks. So having to create sounds that match the kind of epic scale of what we're looking at and seem to the viewer like they you know, are believably those either distant worlds or supernovas out in a faraway galaxy or, you know, the way that, that um, atoms behave inside the nucleus or I mean, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, just really kind of the, the sky's the limit with your imagination with a lot of that stuff. John, Greg mentioned, or I'm sorry, Greg, John mentioned uh, the word believable a couple of times. How do you accomplish that? How do you make it to where it is not a, you know, a cheesy 1950s space adventure? Uh, I'll use the word organic. And, and by what I mean by that is like, we, we tried to base the sounds off of uh, 
naturally occurring things as opposed to going into the synthetic sci-fi world. So um, one of the ways we we did that was um, we used as a reference, they, when they launched Voyager, uh, they, they sent that off with the gold disc and then the gold disc was all basically sounds of the planet and different music and that kind of things. But in there was also recordings we had made from space, like of pulsars. There was even recordings of Andrew and um, brain waves when she was in love so that, you know, future people could hear what brain waves sound like. So we would use those various elements as jumping off points. Cause the, the trick with this show really was that, um, this is all naturally occurring things, but they are so amazing looking and so fantastical looking that you didn't want it to go down the sci-fi road. So we, we tried to base everything off naturally occurring things and that would be our jumping off point for sound design. And then we would take those sounds and layer them or manipulate them and, and create the sounds of the cosmos or, or like John said, even going to like to the quantum physics where we're going to a totally microscopic place and creating those environments as well, trying to keep it all grounded in nature and reality as much as we could. Yes, but the other, the other item that was on that Voyager disc was Johnny B. Good, so you totally could have gone down the Chuck Berry route as well. So Yeah, we could have totally done that. And, 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 and I would be okay with that. One, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's funny because we actually did in, in the sense that uh, we're all musicians here for the most part, but like John went and sampled things uh, with his guitar playing and mm. through various, uh, you know, pedals and, and effects and all that kind of stuff. And we actually have a very good friend of ours um, who's a didgeridoo player and he makes didgeridoos and we had sampled oh, didgeridoo tones and oscillations and stuff and use those because they're all, they all have natural rhythms and tones mm. and frequencies that we're very familiar with. And we would use all those different elements in our sound design process. Well, John, go go down that road because one of the interesting things, regardless of whether you are in the AV industry or the music in, or the, the the sound production in, industry, all of us have kind of found our way through music, right? Uh, whether that was you were a drummer or you were a guitarist or you were a guitar tech, talk about the the kind of the universal sound, which is uh, the universal language. This is kind of what Carl Sagan was saying because he's the one who put together the golden disc that they put on Voyager. The, the universal language of music and how you guys have used that as the foundation for, for these, these sound effects. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, so many people come at audio through whether it was just learning an instrument as a child. I mean, for me, the next, the next logical progression after learning an instrument was, you know, to start recording stuff. And so you, you end up with, you know, back in my teens, it was like a cassette based four track, and you just kind of discover what you can do, um, you know, how you can manipulate things and what you can create. But um, the way, the most important way that I think of how music influences what we do is that everything has an innate sense of rhythm to it. And that doesn't necessarily mean like a, um, you know, a, a repetitive meter, like a one, two, three, four, um, or even odd time signatures, but, but scenes of whether it be drama or, you know, in the case of Cosmos, obviously, dramatization of um, scientific yeah. uh, subjects. You have to be able to cue into natural rhythms and, you know, the ri emotional rhythms, emotional beats and those kinds of things. And mm -hmm. when the, uh, you know, the picture department are putting together the show, they are obviously tuned into those sorts of things. And, and it might be subliminal, like 
the the way to, to really nail the natural rhythm of, of a show and of a scene and of uh, the sound design sequence or music or whatever it is, is to just kind of make it feel right. And so even if people don't know exactly what those beats are and when you're hitting them, it either feels right or it doesn't feel right. And I think being a musician, and like Greg said, so many of us um, in the business, and particularly at this company, I, I almost don't know if there's anybody here who isn't in some way, shape, or form a musician. Um, just being able to kind of naturally key into those rhythms and and just make it feel natural and organic. Um, it, it's just something that you either innately, innately know or... You know, perhaps some people don't. It's funny how some people can't count a rhythm. They just don't have that sense. You know, they just they're not naturally not a born dancer or whatever it is. But if you if you've got it, then you can help to communicate it to other people, even if they don't know that you're really specifically what you're communicating. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're talking with John Greensley and uh, Greg King, the two that sound uh, folks. Uh, Greg is the uh, sound editor, uh, and then uh, John is the. Uh, sound designer uh, for Cosmos Possible Worlds airs on, on Nat Geo. Greg, I want to come back to something that, that, that John said here for a second, and, and that is the natural rhythm of, of nature, right? How do you explain to somebody who, as you're watching this program, or even if you're explaining to somebody sort of this process and this job you guys did, the natural rhythm, the, the rhythm of nature, even though nature in this case is both here on Earth, but also out in, in the cosmos? Uh, I, to be honest, I approach it from like an emotional perspective. So uh, when I'm out in nature, whether it's in, a, in the middle of the desert or I'm in the forest or on the ocean or what have you, I find that, that the sounds and the rhythms I hear are, have an emotional resonance, like whether it's the rhythm of surf on the beach or the way birds are tweeting or what have you, depending on where I am. So... And that's, that's kind of the context you take with music as well when you're composing a piece of music or a song and you're, you're looking for those emotional beats, those emotional notes that's, that's either amplifying or subtracting the emotional response to the audience. And that's exactly what we're doing in the sound design and the mixing because John and I were also the re-recording mixers on the show is that we're trying to find those beats of like where's the beats that we want to hit that really elicits that emotional response from the audience. And... So that, that's where we get our inspiration from nature is like knowing that, you know, certain things just make you feel calm by its rhythm or the nature of its audio quality. And some things make you feel tense, um, you know, by its rhythm and its nature, like a car alarm, you know, or, or you know, which, which isn't nature, but it's a naturally occurring thing we hear every day. That will make you tense and aggravated just naturally. It elicits that emotional response. So that, that's all the things we factored into the sound design is like, especially with these we had to look at this series not on an episode by episode basis but also a global arc of the whole episode of the whole series because the the series is giving a couple of messages and and one of the messages the series is giving is how we're all interrelated from a microscopic quantum level all the way up to a macro universal level so we wanted to create uh an integration and a continuity of like what's happening on a micro level is also happening on a macro level and all, we're all connected. We're not isolated. We're not living our existence apart from everything else, but we're actually a part of everything else. And so we, we try to tie in those frequencies and those rhythms and those feelings all together. So we had that constant through line through the whole series. 
a stardust, as again, Carl Sagan used to say. So uh, absolutely. Yes. John, as we kind of wrap up here, and Greg, I want to come back to you with the same question. Uh, one of the, the overarching themes, at least it seems to be, in the last couple of years, uh, both in, in sound design, but also in, in live staging and production, and, and honestly, the, the, the industry as a whole, has been getting young people involved and interested in this as a career, right? Um, they, they don't necessarily see sound design. They don't see, you know, uh, running a soundboard or being a sound engineer as as something that's viable or you know even uh, possible for them. If, if you're talking to a young person and you're talking to a, a junior or senior in high school or even somebody um, the first couple of years of college and you wanted to encourage them that this is you know not only is it a possible career but it's a pretty exciting one. What would you tell them? Um, that is a great question. I mean, it's it's like you said, people don't necessarily a lot. I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't even really necessarily know. Um, what all goes into uh, these kinds of lines of work. Like if yeah. you just say to to somebody who's got an early interest on about like sound design and sound editing, you know, and, and just how much of that work goes into the films and the, and the TV shows that everybody kind of loves and watches, um, you know, it's obviously the big sexy thing for everybody to to want to be when, when they're just getting an interest in music and stuff. Like that. Everybody wants to be a rock star and, and not everybody can be a rock star. Um, and but the other thing is not everybody can do um, this job. But what it is is, it's a way as a career. It's a way where you really get to go into something and be part of a creative community and be creative every day of your life. And the the, the size of the teams of of all the people that, that contribute to a show, especially like Cosmos. I mean, on just our crew alone, it's not just me and Greg. You know, we have like five or six other guys, um, guys and girls who contribute to it in the various different. Um, uh, aspects of, of sound. So we've got the sound design and the sound effects, but we've also got the dialogue, the editing, the ADR, the recording of that, the editing of all that stuff, and then the mixing. But then on top of that, you've got all the picture department, all the visual effects people, all the people who are there on the set. And when you think about how many people have to come together to, to make this series, it's kind of an amazing testament to just this concept of collaboration, which is one of the things that I really like about it. Um, you know, I've tried various different um, creative endeavors throughout my life. I've, I've been a musician. I've tried various uh, parts of the picture uh, process as well in terms of editing and, and some light visual effects stuff. But I always kept coming back to sound just because it was it was always that thing that just kind of kept calling to me. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid and was, you know, playing with toys and making like sound effect sounds with my mouth, stuff like that, like, you know, the doo-doos and all that type of stuff. <laughs> Um, it's, it's just a really unique and special thing to be a part of. And specifically with the sound design stuff that, that we do, it's, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, when you look around the world and all the content that's out there, you think about how many people, first of all, how many people, like I said, go into making it, but then the, the sheer number of people that get to see it and it's just become a part of our culture and the fabric of, of life. It's kind of amazing you know, the reach that um, these, these little things that you do on a day-to-day basis have around the world and, um, and how it can affect people throughout their lives, you know, emotionally. And also, again, in the case of Cosmos, it's so informative, which is, which is yeah. also great. Absolutely. J- uh, Greg, so I'm going to question it. It, it. John hit on it, the fact that we, we jokingly say that it's, it, it's, it's almost like taffy or, or quicksand. You think you might get out of it for a while, but it, it'll suck you back in because it is such a, an intoxicating in- industry. Yeah, and I find it's like, um, 
there's a lot more awareness of it now than there was even say 10 years ago. Um, I think just thanks to, you know, the internet and social media and more, a more behind the scenes thing that's showing various different jobs behind the scenes and movie making and TV making and that kind of stuff. But I find like we do a lot of mentoring here. We, I mean, John started as a very junior guy here, you know, Joel Schrack, who just did the last two Jumanji movies for us. He started here at a very basic, everybody here starts very basic. And even people who get into this business, um, being aware of it and have gone to school for it or just come out of high school and maybe have a musical background, even once they get in the door in a junior position, they're not even aware of all the different jobs. Like a lot of people may come in and go, Oh, I want to be a sound designer because you know, that's one of the more glamorous aspects of, of sound for TV and, and movies. But then they, they'll discover, Oh, there's dialogue editing. I didn't realize you've got to go through all the dailies and you get to go through the dialogue and clean up the edits and EQ match different takes and, and clean out noise. And, Oh, you bring actors into the studio to do ADR. I had no idea that happened. So very often, even people who are aware that this segment of the business exists, once they get into the professional environment, they discover different areas. Like they could discover folio. They could, like I said, ADR dialogue editing. There's so many different aspects. So, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by how we're getting more of a spotlight on the work we do and how it affects the shows and, and getting more and more interested. And uh, I, I find the talent pool now coming out of uh, colleges and universities and, and even out of just like high school is uh, just far richer and deeper than it was even, say, 10 years ago, I think, because we are getting a little more exposure to this end of the industry. And then and once you get into it, you're sucked in. It's like, I got into this. I just uh, essentially BS my way into the business because I just happened to get in at a time when everything was moving from film over to 24 track and magnetic tape, you know, synchronized systems and stuff. And, and I was 19 years old. And because I had some studio experience as a musician by that point, I said, Oh, I know how to use a 24 track. And I bluffed my way into it. And once I got in, I went, wow, you could take a recorder out and record sound effects and guns and doors and cars and airplanes and then synchronize it and layer it. And and once I got into that aspect, I was just, I was in the quicksand, as you say. There was, uh, there's no letting go of it. It was like uh, I was, uh, I was stuck. Yeah, in in my younger days, I I actually wanted to be a foley artist. That was that that to me was the epitome of of creativity with sound. And I still, hats off to the men and women who who do that on a daily and weekly basis. But plus you guys as well. So, uh, and right, then how did yeah, you discover, how did you discover foley? Let me. Let me throw it back at you. How did you even Foley was so, out there? Well, uh, we, we are all of a certain age that I, I was um, in high school before the the World Wide Web, I guess, or right around the same time. Um, it was one of those. Have you, did you ever go down the rabbit hole in the, it, it, the card system at your local high school or college and like, oh, what's this about? What is I I was roaming through and, and doing research on something in my, my junior year in high school. And again, this is back kids when, when you had the Dewey Decimal System and we had cards that you looked up the, where the books were in, in the list. Yeah. And um, I, I happened upon uh, a book about movie making. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you're, you're just kind of scrolling through. And, and there was an entire chapter on Foley artists, on the sound effects and, and creating the quote unquote real world uh, sounds in movies. And I was fascinated. I was absolutely fascinated. And this was, this was right before, you know, digital audio workstations came out. This was before the first Pro Tools system. It was right before. 
Uh, I think the first Pro Tools rig was somewhere in the mid '90s, and this was you know early '90s. Um, and mm-hmm. I was fascinated and read up and, and, and had a couple of, of family members that lived in, in California. And so asked them if they knew any, and sure enough, uh, uh, my, my uncle at the time, um, still my uncle, <laughs> but at the time he lived in, in, mm-hmm. in Southern California and, you know, through, through phone calls and, and letters and stuff like that, I just got to know some folks and as, as hap- as will happen, life happens and you, you, ter- you take a couple different turns and never got out there and never got the chance to to study it but yeah it, i've been fascinated with foley artists for for 30 years i guess no yeah. oh, it's actually awesome. it's really funny to me um how like when you tell someone who maybe doesn't know exactly what we do you know you'll be like oh you know i do sound effects but tv and film or whatever it is uh, it's funny to me the amount of people that that say oh do you do foley like for some reason that concept seems to be like a little bit more out there to people than than perhaps other aspects of it you know yeah well, part I, of that is thanks to like stars. Have you seen uh, Track Stars? That's a film made by Andy Malcolm. No. Um, back, I think it was the late '70s, early '80s. It's a split screen. It's a little dated now because it's it's so old. But it's it's fascinating because they did the first split screen where they show them in the Foley studio on one half of the screen and then the live action on the other. Wow. And uh, I think they got an Academy Award nomination for that. It's a short. You can find that on YouTube. You could do a find for Andy Malcolm and Track Stars and. Uh, and um, I used to work with those guys all the time up in Toronto. That's where they're from. And uh, that's, a, that's how a lot of people got in was just seeing these short films because it's so tactical. You can see someone doing it real time. Yeah, absolutely. We, when I, I taught audio production for a number of years at our local college here, and I, I, would, I would take uh, a week and we would talk about sound effects and I would show them, you know, of all the artists in, in, uh, in, in the studio, really. And this was by, the, by that time... Um, YouTube had become a thing and you could bring up, you know, some folks were filming and uh, you would just bring them in and say, okay, yo, this, this is what this sound sounds like, you know, in your ears. And this is this person, you know, creating that sound. So yeah, it's, it's one of those, one of those arts that I still uh, hold in high esteem. So that's me. All right, uh, guys, thank you so much. Yeah. uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Again, the program is called Cosmos Uh, Possible Worlds. It airs on Nat Geo. The final episode, I believe is the 20th of April. Um, Greg uh, King, supervising sound editor, and uh, John Greasley, uh, sound designer. Thank you both so much. Uh, Greg, if somebody wants to get a hold Thank of you. you. Absolutely. Uh, somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, yeah, we have a website. It's uh, kingsoundworks.com, and there's pictures of our facilities. Uh, we have facilities in, uh, in Van Nuys, California, and, and Burbank. Uh, California, and then they could see uh, all photos of the place and us, and uh, and there's contact information on there. Right, very good. And John, how do people find you? Um, I am um, also featured on that uh, that same website. I mean, I've been part of this company now for nearly ten years, um, and I I work exclusively here with Greg um, and the rest of our team. So so yeah, that is also the best way to to find me. Thank you guys so much. Again, Cosmos Possible Worlds airs on Nat Geo. Final episode of that, April 20th. For us, for Aviation, go by our website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including our two weekly programs. One is called AV Week. It airs on, on Mondays, uh, covers the commercial side of AV, and Resi Week covers the um, residential side of AV. That posts every Wednesday. All that and more at avnation.tv. 